So this morning we're continuing Acts. Um, So if you want, you can open up your Bibles to chapter 14 of Acts. It's also going to come up on the screen behind me, I believe. So I was not here uh, last Sunday. I had every intention to listen to the sermon, but I didn't. Um, And I know it was on evangelism, right? Yeah, so this is kind of on that as well. So if I contradict you in any way, DJ, forgive me for correcting all your mistakes from last week. Um, But uh, this continues in the theme of evangelism, chapter 14, with Paul and Barnabas uh, in in two different areas, uh, speaking the truth of Christ. Um, And the context from Acts chapter 13 here a little bit is... um, Acts chapter 13, verse 15 says, When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So we come into chapter 14. Um, As you all know, Paul was a Pharisee, and then he got converted to Christianity, to the way of Christ. Uh, And throughout his ministry, when he would speak in the synagogues, There were some that would believe, and then there's some that weren't. And the ones that didn't believe would stir people up and get disruption happening. And what we see in chapter 14 is Paul and Barnabas are speaking a message. We don't know exactly what they spoke. It just said that they spoke in such a way that a great number of people believed. We don't know the words that they said, but we know that it was truth, the truth of God. And around them, as they're speaking you start to see division happening. And you start to see disruption happening. And then to them, you see suffering and persecution happening. And oftentimes, we don't like to associate um, the truth of God with division. You know, we, we like to think of unity, especially within the church. But we see here Paul and Barnabas speaking, and chaos from their words starts to happen all around them. So that's where we are with Acts chapter 14. So verse 1, Now in Iconium they entered together into a Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done at their hands. But the people of the city were divided, Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So when when you think of um, the gospel being preached, do you typically associate it with division and disruption and things getting stirred up. Is that initially what comes to mind? Not typically. But we see that following Paul and Barnabas and their ministry, and so we have to wrestle with this. And as I'm studying for this passage, I thought I had it all figured out. Um, My mistake. Uh, I was with Carrie yesterday, and we had a lengthy discussion, probably 45 minutes long, and... This is like yesterday, I'm I'm preaching this morning, and 
Carrie is sharing with me her thoughts on this passage and in the direction that I'm going, and she flips it upside down in so many ways that from yesterday to this morning, I think I've reworked this sermon about six times. So I do not know the version. I forget the version I'm going to preach this morning. But um, this, is, this is a complicated subject. And it's very, I believe, and you'll see through this passage, very individualized. Right? There is not one specific way that God calls us to share the gospel. It's not just the sinner's prayer and then, boom, you're a believer, or, or whatever it may be. It's very specific and individualized through your situation and then the way that God has created you to be. But what we see here, foundationally, is that when the truth is spoken, there is the potential for division and disruption and suffering in our lives. We see it with Paul and Barnabas. We saw it with Jesus. We saw it with the prophets. And I think that worries and scares us and hinders us from living out the truth and speaking the truth because of the consequences that might happen. So verse 2 says the people were stirred up. And verse 4 says the people of the city were divided. And Jesus says that this is going to happen. In Luke chapter 12, he says, Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? Anybody else wrestle with that? Like, we sing about peace on earth, don't we? Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, Jesus says, I tell you, but rather division. I, I wish sometimes I could just edit the Bible and be like, yeah, that, I, can't, I can't understand that. Let me take that part out. I can't understand. But the gospel and the truth of God and the word of God is so multidimensional. There's so many paradoxes within the gospel. And this is one of them. He says, from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. There will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That last one, you're probably like, oh yeah, that last one makes sense, but all the rest. <laughs> See, what, what is happening when the truth is spoken and when the truth is lived out? What is happening is we have to make a decision. So Paul speaks the truth, and he puts it out there, and then individually people have to make a decision. The Jews and the Gentiles were going in their way, potentially peacefully, going along their path. And then Paul and Barnabas come, and they speak this message of truth, and they challenge their way of living. And they say There's, there is a different way to live. They challenge the authority of the Pharisees. And that, that's a huge challenge. Why do the Pharisees always get so upset? Or the rulers get so upset? Because when somebody converts to Jesus and starts following Jesus as their authority, then they're no longer looking at this authority over here. And that challenges them. They like their authority. They like their power. They like the control that they have over people. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, no, these people here do not control you. It's, it's God that has authority in your life, and that challenges them. They're speaking a new path. 
They're speaking a new reality. I think in one of the songs it says, um, I'm wide awake. Right? You ever, my daughter, uh, Ivy, woke me up four times last night. And you know that like beginning time when you're just starting to wake up and there's that just confusion and that grogginess? Or you see in movies like somebody gets knocked out and then they give you like the picture through their eyes and everything's just confusing and then reality comes. That's what the truth of God is like. Like people walk around not living in reality. Awakening yourself with the gospel is actually living in reality. Numbing yourself with all of these other things is living in some sort of haze, fog-like reality. But when the truth of God comes, your eyes are open to everything that's around you. And sometimes it's easier to live in ignorance. I've kind of stopped watching the news and reading the news in the past year and a half. And it's been pretty awesome. But at the same time, like, where's that balance of, I, I need to live in the reality of the world and what's going on. But sometimes ignorance is, is much easier to handle. And when we start to dig into the word of God and let it infiltrate our lives, this awakening happens and that can be freaky. So he, they're speaking a new reality. And this message disrupts and divides their current ways. A choice is presented. Continue in your ways or follow me. The one passage that always kind of also, like, this is not one I want to take out of the Bible. It's just one that I find very interesting. There's going to be like a little clip. Mike wants to take verses out of the Bible, but that's not true. It's just some things are really hard to handle. And one of the passages that really confuses me is when Jesus has this um, demon-possessed man, and he liberates the man, and sends the demons into a herd of pigs. And you remember, and then they all like run off and drown themselves. Now, if that happened, if you saw somebody with such power, wouldn't you just be amazed and just want to follow them around? Rather, what do the people of the town do? Anybody remember? They run them out of that, run them out of town. Mark 15, Mark 5:17 says, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave. What was happening? He was disrupting their way of life. And they were like, I don't think we want this. Please get out of here. That's what the gospel has the potential to do. It disrupts and it divides. And we have to make a choice. So continuing on. So they leave that region because they know that they're going to get stoned. And not in, you know, the way that you might be thinking in the bad way. Acts chapter 14, verse 8 now says this. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And then the crowd saw what Paul had done. They lifted up their voices, saying, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. So in all of the commentaries that I read on this passage, they all confirmed 
that in this town there was this legend that Hermes and Zeus came dressed as ordinary men and went through the town. And nobody would let them in. And then finally, an elderly couple let them come into their home. And then that elderly couple's home was blessed, and then all of the other homes were cursed. So this is the legend. So now they see Paul and Barnabas, and seeing what's happened, they believe that they've come back. And they want to worship, thinking that they're gods. But Paul and Barnabas defer the praise in verse 14 and say, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. So they're deferring the praise. No, 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 no. It's not us. It's God that did this. Now watch how they, they just turn on a dime. Verse 19 But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. It's reminiscent of Jesus coming in, being praised as he's entering the gates, and then days later, crucify him, crucify him. Anytime you put your hope, and I often do it, put my hope in people, I need to read these verses. and People can turn quickly. And we see that through the news and, you know, people can fall from grace really quickly. So they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Just, it baffles me that they go from worshiping him to trying to kill him in an instant, it seems. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. The gospel message, the truth of God, causes disruption, division, and it also has the potential to cause suffering. With Paul, it caused physical suffering, and I'm sure emotional, mental suffering, humiliation, being stoned almost to death. They thought he was dead because he healed somebody. That does not seem fair. Philippians 1.29, and, and Paul speaks this from experience. He says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So that's the passage. The truth is spoken. Disruption, division, suffering, seemingly chaos happening all around them. Now, I, I do want to say... And this is where Carrie, sorry to keep calling you out, hon, really helped me with this passage so much. Is that we shouldn't seek out division, disruption, and suffering. Because I think some people can hear this message or read this passage, and then it's a license for them 
to speak truth to somebody in an uncaring way. Or to just load themselves up with scripture and then just throw bombs and just see the destruction that happens and then walk away. And then say, well, you know what? Uh, This is happening because suffering is part of the Christian way. So they look at these passages of suffering and of persecution and just say, you know what? I'm going to go over here in a very uncaring way and I'm going to speak the truth and then that person's going to react and I'm going to walk away and say, you know what? Well, the Bible says I'm going to suffer, so this is just part of evangelism. And then they go over here and the same thing happens and the same thing happens and they just say this is part of following Jesus, which couldn't be any further from the truth. What they're doing is they want the simple way and just a license to go around and just speak truth to people, but without any sensitivity of the Spirit. And there are people in my life that I know of that have been extremely hurt by this mode of evangelism. And then the damage that's done years later then has to be healed and fixed because somebody thought, oh, this is my only moment to speak truth to them. So they're looking at evangelism in this narrow form of this moment could be their only chance to hear the gospel rather than saying, Lord, what is my purpose in this moment for your greater plan for this person's life? Does that make sense? I mean, I've had it before as well, like church camp or something like that, or, you know, you're in line at checkout or something where you think, oh, this could be my only chance to share the truth with this people. So it's my chance to share this truth sliver of time rather than God is in eternity and has the entirety of this person's life and I am just a small part. And that part might be speaking the gospel message, but that part might be something even much smaller. And so evangelism really does take sensitivity to the spirit. It's the truth of God's word coupled with walking in step with the Spirit. And too often, I think sometimes, and I don't see it within our church here, but so often sometimes I think I see people, it's the truth of God's Word, and that's it. You know, let me just throw it there and throw it there. I was coming back from Philly after uh, an engagement session, and uh, I shoot photos for people that don't know uh, what I mean by that, but I was coming back from an engagement session, and uh, I was stopping to get some food, and there was this guy, and it was right around Christmas time. How old are the kids in here? All right, well, he had a shirt on about Santa. Um, I won't say what the shirt said, but it was very uh, abrasive and aggressive. And so, of course, you know, the stupidity of me said, I'm going to talk to this guy, and I'm going to change his life. (laughs) He doesn't need to do it this way. I had this whole picture in my head. It's like, this guy, after today, this guy is going to be different on how he evangelizes. Well, I went up and I talked to him about his shirt, and he made me feel this tall. Like, he just, he, he verbally just beat me down. First, I went up and said, hey, nice shirt. And he was a little bit kind to me, but then when he found out I was a Christian, he, he just, he started just hitting into me, where I just, I, just, I could not wait to leave that conversation. I'm not often without words, but I was without words. My heart was racing. And to this day, I mean, it's three months later, I still think about it weekly. 
right after it happened, I was thinking about it all the time. Like, was he right? Like, do I need to evangelize this way? Some people, they just, just, just throw it out. But Paul says this when it comes to how we interact with the world. Philippians, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Titus 3, verses 1 and 2. Be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So the truth, without sensitivity to the Spirit, without relationship, without genuine care, is destructive. And again, you can look at this passage and think, well, part of evangelism is disruption and division and suffering, and that's why I'm always feeling this way, because the Bible says it. But I I think that happens so often when somebody's just going out, and they really don't care about the people they're speaking with. They're just trying to get another notch. So this is not license for uncaring evangelism. And then the other thing uh, as well is this isn't a blueprint for how evangelism needs to be done. I remember one um, pastor teaching one time about how if you look at Jesus in the gospel and the people that were saved through his message, you don't find much repeat at all. You know, one one woman comes in and um, spills perfume and wipes his feet with her tears and she's saved. Another, it's some friends dropping their paralyzed friend down in among Jesus and he's saved. Um, Another woman is at the well and Jesus doesn't berate her continually about her life and everything that she's done wrong. He, He talks about a sliver of that and he's gentle and he's kind with her. Right? You look at Jesus over and over and over again and there isn't this just one way to do things. It's the ultimate sensitivity to the spirit in the moment. But I think sometimes we just want to know, like, how should it be done? Give me a method or a way or steps in order to reach people. But it's much harder than that. Have any of you read um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality? Yes. One, you read a couple chapters. It's a really good book. You should read it. He says this, among many other amazing things in that book. He says, most people live off other people's spirituality rather than taking the time to develop their own direct experience with God. So I'm going to read that again. Most people live off of other people's spirituality rather than taking the time to develop their own direct experience with God. The easy path is, tell me what to do and I'll do it. But a relationship with God means coming before him and learning about how we were created to be individually. This walking with God thing is corporate, but it's also highly individualized as well. 
Right? We all have been wired and gifted and created in magnificent and different ways. And to take the way that I do it and expect that to be the way that Patty does it is not right. I've had people judge me before because I don't stand outside of Planned Parenthood with signs. Right? There's, a, there's a friend of mine, and he's got, a, he's got a great heart and a love for the Lord and a care for people. But there was this one interaction that I had with him and his family, and basically they were saying to me, if you don't go and do this, you're not really a follower of Christ. I've had people judge me like that guy on my way back from Philly for not preaching on the street corners. And he basically said to me, if you're not doing it my way, you're not doing it right. I've had people judge me for not being in paid ministry. As many of you know, I was a youth pastor, how many years ago is that now? Seven years ago? And I was in paid ministry for five years and I left it. And one person said to me, oh, you're leaving God for photography? And I'm like, but I still have people say to me, so, like, what church are you serving at? Are you still going to go to seminary? Are you going to be a pastor? Because they think I have a gift of communication. They think they know the role that I should have in the body of Christ. They're placing their expectations on me. Some of you, your heart is for this neighborhood back here. Some of you, your heart is for Pottstown. Some of you, your heart is for the soup kitchen. Some of you, your heart is for Philly. Some of you, your heart is for your employees. Some of you, your heart is for the business that you work in. Some of you, your heart is for your family, and you have to spend all your time right now pouring into your family. Some of you, it's your neighborhood. And sensitivity to God's spirit and coming before him, the underlying foundation is that we need to be speaking and acting out the truth of God around us. But the form is different for every single one of us because we're all created differently. I'm outgoing where somebody else might be shy. Somebody else might be introverted and they have to think for a while before they can speak where others are just able to, like, off the top of their head, just give an answer and, and speak just so fluidly. It always amazes me that DJ and Tim preach without notes. And when I first got into ministry, anybody know Phil Carnuccio? Like really exuberant Italian guy, really funny. And I thought when I preached, I needed to be a really exuberant Italian guy, although I'm not, and really funny. And then I started to learn myself in God, how he's created me to be. If all of us were down at City Hall preaching the gospel, you know, where would the people be in Chester County? If all of us were serving in this neighborhood, where would the people in Pottstown be? And it's coming before God and saying, how have you wired me? What, what are the things around me that you want me to influence? Sensitivity to his spirit, immersion in his word. Romans, which you're all familiar with this verse, Romans 12 says, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. 
If it is to lend, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We're each called to reflect the character of Christ uh, in different ways. And rather than looking around and saying, how are you doing it? Or judging others by saying, they're not doing it right. Rather, we need to come before God and say, here I am, Lord. What have you called me to do? So I think it's okay to challenge people and say, where has God placed you? How has he wired you? And how are you using that to speak and live out truth to those around you? That is good. That's foundational. But the shifts, and even if it's just in our mind, and say, I can't believe that they're living for God this way, is wrong. But God doesn't say that having money is wrong. He says the love of money. And that there's many temptations that come with money. But if we look at somebody that's successful in business and say, well, if they're not living in poverty, they're not really living for Christ, is wrong. Because maybe God has called them to generosity. If every Christian was poor, this world would be a pretty tough place, right? To receive, there has to be people that give. We've been doing this um, two-year journey uh, with, it's called Deeper Journey. It's uh, Soul Care, where Carrie and I are going down to Sandy Cove, and it's every three months um, there's a retreat. And one of the greatest things that we've been learning through this, and then also apart from that in our own study and personal time, is, um, I'm just going to put it out there, it's extra biblical, but something called the Enneagram if you've ever heard of it. And I know people will knock it, um, or personality tests in general, but for us, personally, it has been absolutely life-giving and eye-opening to realize that more and more and more that everybody is created so intricately and so differently. And it's been really good for our marriage been really good for my interactions with my employees and my friends because I'm wired a certain way and I think a certain way and I filter life a certain way through how I see things. And then when somebody else comes along and does something differently or acts differently, I used to look at my filter of life and judge them according to that. But as I'm starting to learn how we're all created so differently, Now I'm able to look at it and say, okay, God, I see the world this way, and it's beautiful, and it's unique. And then this person can see the world completely differently than I do and do things differently than me, and it's beautiful, and it's unique. Where it used to be, this is the way that has to be done, and then like, ah, they're not doing it right over there. They're not doing it right over there. Isn't this how it should be, and they're not acting that way? Rather now, it's like, oh, God, you've created me for this purpose, and that person for that purpose, and that purpose. And it's just opening up my, my view of the world and people and realizing that some people are strong and authoritative, and that's how God has created them to be. 
And some people are, are passive and peaceable, and that's how God has created them to be. And some people don't have a million friends, but just a few close ones, and they, they get really deep into thought and thinking through things, and that's how God's created them to be. And some people are so gifted at serving, and that's how God's created them to be. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So this passage here, which I kind of got away from, all that, some of that stuff was not in my notes, <laughs> is the foundational thing here is not let's do it like Paul and Barnabas did it. The foundational thing here is that God has called us to speak and to live out truth in our lives. And oftentimes I think that we hold back out of fear of disruption, division, and suffering. And I think it mainly happens, if I'm honest, within our home. The more that you immerse yourself in the word of God and listen to his spirit, the more your eyes are going to be open to the reality around you. And when that happens, you tend to see a lot of dysfunction in your own life and in the lives of your family members. And God wants to free us from that, those patterns of dysfunction. And the easier thing to do would just be to be like, okay, just shove it down. It's always been this way. Let's not rock the boat. But God calls us to freedom within ourselves, within our home, within our communities, and sometimes it's a tough road. And now I'm not saying pick up that truth bomb and just be like, oh, honey, did you know? That's not helpful. But saying, and not within a fight either. Do not bring this stuff out when you're fighting. It's sometimes, oh, well, this, this, and this. No. It's sitting and being like, hun, or kids, mom or dad, God's showing me this in my life and in our family, and I don't, I, I don't think it's right. I think he has something so much better for us. Can we work on this together? But how many of you have had those thoughts in your mind, but you don't say it because you're worried about what's going to happen, the consequence, right? So let's live out, let's speak the truth. And if division, disruption, and suffering come, we got to be okay with it. So I just want to, um, I did this last time I preached as well, because I think it's one thing to just sit and listen, but I also think it's super helpful to visualize um, how this plays out in our life. Uh, so we're already 11.15, and I usually pride myself on finishing early. Um, but let's just take a minute or two, and I just want you to spend a little bit of time uh, reflecting on where in life God has placed you. You know, picture your family, picture your marriage, picture your job, um, picture your neighborhood. And then just visualize, okay, so if I'm visualizing my family, what does it look like to live and speak truth in those areas? 
So let's just take a moment or two uh, to do that. So just you can just pick one. Just visualize um, a part of your life where God has placed you. And then just visualize acting out. What does it look like to speak or to live out truth in that area of your life? Lord, as I do this, um, for me personally, you started with my family and my kids, and then I went to my job, and then I went to the, the time that I get to interact with um, couples on their wedding day, Lord, and that I get a lot of individual time with them apart from their family and their guests. And Lord, you've blessed me with not a perfect marriage, but a very um, healthy one, Lord, where we're both unified in growing closer to each other, closer to you, individually growing, Lord. And you've placed me in situations where I'm spending time with two people that are starting um, on day one, Lord. And a lot of us in this room know how that first year uh, can be difficult. Lord, and oftentimes I fear speaking your truth on a wedding day, um, mainly because of the reaction, um, you know, that might happen and in a very worldly sense, the impact that it would have on my business. Um, Lord, but you've placed me in a very unique situation and uh, just pray for boldness um, and truth and honesty as, as I'm with these people, um, and, but sensitivity and gentleness and care uh, at the same time, Lord. Um, each one of our situations, uh, our neighborhood, our family, our place of employment, where we serve, you know, all of that sort of stuff is not by accident. Lord, you've, you've placed us in these situations because of how you've created us perfectly for those situations, Lord. And I just pray that you open up our eyes to the reality around us. Awaken our souls to see you in all of the areas of our life, Lord. But just give us extreme sensitivity to your spirit, Lord, so that we do not do damage in your name, Lord. It, sometimes I just don't speak because I don't know of the damage that other Christians have done, and I get worried about being lumped in with the other ones, Lord, and it hinders me. Lord, but just awaken us. The best thing we can do, Lord, is live in reality. The reality of your presence all around us, the reality of your presence in our families, in our neighborhoods, as, as we just interact and we are with people, Lord. Open us up to the reality of their hurt, the reality of their doubts and their fears and, and all of the things from their upbringing that have warped their thinking or shaped their thinking or also just awaken us to the reality of the beauty of the way that you've created people. Some people hate themselves and we can speak truth into them and say, but God loves you. God created you. God has a purpose for you. It, it doesn't have to be pointing out the bad. It can be pointing out the good. Lord, that we can see people for who they are and say, 
God has a better way. He's created you for so much more. Lord, it's hard work. It takes a sensitivity. It also could take being misunderstood. Lord, but let us not fear the potential of disruption and division and suffering. Let that not hold us back, Lord, from living out the way that you've created us to be and bringing life to those around us. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the strength. I know I, I need it, and I'm sure so many of us in this room need it. We, none of us have it together. If we do, then we're the Pharisee that Jesus was the hardest against. But, but in humility, bring us before you. Lord, and shape us and change us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.